0: If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Typically, on a Good Friday service, the theme would be focused, and rightly so, on the cross. But if you've been with us for the past five weeks, that's all I've been talking about is the cross. We've been looking at different individuals who, whose lives were impacted and they were there. We can see them as if this were some type of, of, of Hollywood production, they might be considered extras. But they were there and we looked at them and how they reacted to being part of that scene. But tonight, I want to take a step back from looking at the cross and looking at an event just before it. Mark chapter 14, I want to talk tonight about praying under pressure. Mark 14, I'll begin reading in verse number 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. But what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Praying under pressure. The word Gethsemane in the original language literally means oil press. It's where olives would get crushed to produce good oil. And at the foot of the Mount of Olives, it was a place you would see these various practices and processes that were basically called the Gethsemane. It was about being pressed from all sides. Anyone ever felt like you were being pressed on all sides? Here come he, Jesus comes to the scene with three disciples, Peter, James, and John. And the scriptures say he was deeply troubled and distressed. Of all the pain and suffering he would feel, it began to, with the most difficult suffering of all. The suffering that was within him, deep within his soul. He prayed that the hour would pass, that it would not come. I want to make something clear. Even if it's about something that you know that the Lord has spoken to you specifically, that he is going to have you go through, if it's not pleasant, there is obviously nothing wrong with asking God, is there a plan B? There have been many times in my life I've asked God for a plan B. In fact, there have been times in my life when I've asked for a plan and run out of letters in the alphabet. (laughs) Hard times is not something that we seek after. So it's okay to pray that they be removed. And if anyone gives you a hard time about that, we can turn to Mark chapter 14. But sooner or later, if you're breathing... And I'm going to go out on a limb and assume everybody listening to me right now is breathing. We are all going to face a Gethsemane. Times when you feel like you're being crushed and broken. Times when you not only feel that sense, but it's times you can see coming as Jesus can. First and foremost, only way to deal with hard times, the only way to deal with difficult situations is to acknowledge them. It is not faith to hide your head in the sand and say, there's no trouble, it's not raining. That's not faith, that's foolishness. Denying that they are there or that they're coming is not faith. We all have or will have Gethsemane moments. We too will have a question, a prayer, that we bring into the presence of God. And God will meet us there. And God will help us if we let Him. I want us to see tonight, learning from, learning from the Master Himself, how we can handle Gethsemane moments, Gethsemane type experiences. I want to look at three things. First, the experience of His pain, for it says He was hurt deeply. The experience of his prayer, because the Bible says he prayed intensely. And the experience of his power, because he was strengthened supernaturally. Now, the setting is the evening before his crucifixion. They had already had the Passover meal with the twelve. Judas had gone off to gather the Sanhedrin. Jesus takes the eleven to the outer part of the garden And he leaves eight of them at the entrance, and three go deeper with him into the garden. And they are left to go further because they were asked to watch. They were asked to see him be part of this experience and essentially share it with him. So the first thing I want to see tonight is the experience of his pain. Listen to the words about him and from him. Verse 33 says, Troubled and very distressed. Distressed literally meaning visibly unsettled or bothered. How many know sorrow shows? When you're going through something and you tell everybody, I'm fine, you're, you're one, showing how bad a liar you are, and two, how bad an actor. Now, he was not fe- um, in fear of the 11 running away. This was not about the injustices or the humiliations or the beatings that were about to, to unfold. Pain can create loneliness that no one else can bear it for you. All these factors are real, but they were secondary. The main source with this sacrifice is that he was going to be taking on your sin and my sin. He was becoming sin for you and me, and that would separate him from something he had known all his existence. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Pure holiness becoming sin. Not just coming into contact with sin, but it would become a part of his very fabric. And in the first and only time, he would feel forsaken. Wrath and anger would be poured out on him. And he suffered, and it's for you and me. Have you ever felt pain that came from outside, from another source? In anticipation of that awful day, the hour of his agony, death, and separation from his father, he turned to his heavenly father in prayer. I don't know why we as Christians... I. Don't get why the world does it, but we as Christians look at prayer as a secondary resource. It is our most powerful ally. The best thing we can do is not to do everything else, is not to figure out what a situation might need, is not to analyze and then discover what steps I need to take, and then when none of that has worked, oh, well, I guess I'll pray. No, I need to pray so that God can tell me what I need to analyze, what I need to do, what steps I need to take. That way I can take the ones he wants me to. Especially when it's a Gethsemane moment. And what you're feeling is pain like you've never felt before. That was the experience of his pain. Now we enter the experience of his prayer. Hebrews chapter five, beginning in verse number seven, says: During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. In this moment of great pain, great suffering, great distress, how did Jesus pray? He prayed as a child prays to a loving father. Abba, that word literally means Papa or Daddy. I can always tell the difference in the way my sons approach me as their father. When there's something going on deep in their life, it's Daddy. When they approach me, oh, magnificent Father, they want money. But when it's something troubling you, you're not just going to approach God with a list of wants or a list of needs that you have. When there's something deep within your soul, you're going to come into his presence just to sense it, to feel his presence, to feel his spirit sweep over you. In this moment of great pain, he came to his father conveying tenderness, goodness and closeness, something you only say to someone that you trust. When you and I are in our Gethsemane moments, whether it be in a hospital bed or in pain at home or in isolation or experiencing some injustice or grief or betrayal, we need above everything else to pray, to come into our Father's presence like a child comes to Daddy. This prayer spoke of a relationship and not only did he pray as a child prays to a loving father he prayed as a child prays to a powerful father he said God all things are possible with you was it possible for the cup to be removed yeah it was was it possible for Jesus to refuse the cup Technically, yeah, it was. What was impossible was for the cup to be removed and the plan of salvation to unfold because your sins and my sins required a sacrifice. So to accomplish redemption and atonement for our sins had to come this way. God's plan became Jesus' pain. God's plans in your life will often require difficulty. Now, I've heard so many Christians tell other Christians, especially those who have been in the faith for many years, tell those who have been in the faith for a short period of time, just come to Jesus, just pray to Jesus, and you will no longer experience any pain, any issues, any difficulties. It's a good thing I've got a number of sermons in my pocket where I can always whip out and preach about lying. Because <laughs> that is a lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> God's plans for your life, what they require first and foremost is obedience, they can be removed but we want his purpose to be fulfilled in our lives. His cup, becoming sin, being forsaken by God, having this for a moment, broken relationship with the Father, there was no other way. So he prayed. He made his request known. And then he ended with, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. What's your cup? And by your cup, a divinely ordained trial to mold you into the image of Christ. Not just something to get you out of a mess you created because of a dumb choice. Can God remove it? Yeah. Can you walk away from it? Yeah, in part. But not and accomplish his purpose not and accomplish his plan for your life, not and truly know the joy of what God can do in the life of an obedient servant and not and still glorify him. He prayed as a child to a loving father. He prayed as a child to a powerful father. He also prayed as an obedient son to an all-wise father. Father. His prayer ended with, God, you are in charge of all things. His prayer ended with, God, I belong to you. And his prayer ended with, God, you order my steps. He struggled in the garden. He agonized in the garden. He was tempted in the garden. Yet, he yielded to the Father's will in the garden. Whenever I work a retreat or lead some type of conference, I always ask the team members who were leading with me or who were part of the leadership team a simple question. Why are you here? That's something I ask myself on a regular basis as the pastor of this church. Why am I here? It's good to ask ourselves that question each and every day. Why am I here? Am I here just for my own benefit? Am I here for my own pleasure? Or am I here to do the Father's will? Am I here to follow his plan? And am I here not only to follow his will and to follow his plan, but to do so whatever the cost? Romans chapter 12, verse number 1, we know the verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are here to prove and demonstrate that our God who sits on the throne is almighty and has the best plan for any life walking this planet. That his plan is good and acceptable. No matter what it involves. We are to present ourselves, Paul told the church at Rome. That word there in the original language literally means unconditional surrender. But think about that. Let's be honest for a moment. We come to God and say, I'll go wherever you want, except I've shared the story. I did it. When I first started in ministry, I was part of a ministry training program in the church of God called the ministerial internship program. And they was, we, I was part of a class with about eight other ministers, my wife and I. And we would sit around and, like young, foolish ministers do sometimes, let everyone know that we're going to do anything God asks us to do, except. And I said, I'll go anywhere the Lord wants me to. I'll do anything he wants me to do, except. At the time, I didn't want to pastor a church. I thought, my, I thought our gifts were in missions, and I actually said it out loud. I won't go to the South Bronx of New York City. Do you know my first appointment as a Church of God minister was as the associate pastor of Harvest Community Church in the South Bronx of New York City. Can't convince me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Also, it showed my naiveness in what I was asking. Because I was asking, I won't go to the South Bronx. What I should have said is I won't go to Maui. Or I won't go to Hawaii. No, I say I'm not going to the South Bronx. And God pinpointed an area of disobedience in my life. Now it's whatever you want. Unconditional. Unconditional surrender. Unconditional action. No holding back the experience of his pain, his prayer, and lastly tonight, the experience of his power. Jesus is praying in the garden in what is for his earthly journey, one of the most, if not the most, heart-wrenching moments in his 33 years before the resurrection. He prays and he demonstrates the His investment and his commitment to community by bringing Peter, James, and John with him. And he prays and he comes back and he finds them sleeping. Guys, I asked you to watch, they didn't ask you to snooze. So I'm going to give you another shot. And he goes and he says, They prayed again and he came back and they're sleeping. He did this three times. I got to admit, the third time I come back, I'm smacking some heads around. (laughs) He prays a third time and comes back and finds them sleeping again. Your power and your strength is not shown in what or whom you can defeat or overcome your power and your strength often will be shown in what or whom you can endure. Many times, it's how well you can deal with weakness and often the weakness of other people. What strength, what courage, what resolve it took. Where did the strength come from? Luke chapter 22, verse 43. And Luke's account of this whole scene An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. A moment ago, he was collapsed and in emotional distress. The father did not take the cup away. He gave him something greater than the cup's removal. He gave him the strength to overcome it. I honestly feel although I'm committed to the power of our God to deliver, that all too often in our lives as Christians, we ask for deliverance when what we need is power to overcome. Have endurance rather than being delivered. Oftentimes we want no part of difficult times or challenging seasons. God may not take your cup away. But he will provide you with everything you need to drink it. Now, why did he send Jesus an angel? I have a theological answer to that. I don't know. (laughs) I do not know what your Gethsemane moment might be or when. But all I do know is that when your Gethsemane moment shows up, Jesus will show up. When your difficult time shows up, God himself will give you the resources and the power and the strength to overcome as you endure whatever it is you need to go through. There is provision from God just for you. It will be and it will start with his presence. Isaiah 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Aren't you glad God is real? And he's there. We have gone through for the past year... One of the most challenging seasons in most of our lives where so much of our regular everyday existence has been significantly altered and redone and rewritten. So many changes have happened. So many approaches to things have been altered. So many ways of looking at individuals or at groups have been modified. But I'm here to tell you, one thing hasn't changed. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. COVID didn't change who Jesus was. And if... God was able to give his son the strength he needed to get through Calvary. And to walk out of Gethsemane with the strength to face his betrayers. I think he can get you and me through just about anything. Isaiah 43, verse number one. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Notice, you're not going to avoid the waters. You're not going to get around the fires. You're not going to be able to duck out of the way of the flood. You will go through them, but you and I will not go through them alone. Why does God allow you and me to experience Gethsemane moments? I go back to my rousing theological response. I don't know. What I do know is that when we do, you and I can learn to cherish his presence. Truly cherish being in daddy's arms. When we go through these moments, you and I can not only learn to cherish his presence, but become passionate about his presence. In this past year, so many of us have sought God like we haven't in a long time. When you go through your Gethsemane moments, we'll be able to witness to others, because how many know pain is a normal part of the human experience? When we go through our Gethsemane moments in victory, we are able to bring glory and honor to his name. Now, your Gethsemane will be different. This was an actual place. Your Gethsemane may be a different location, a different city or state. It may be some thing you're facing some attitude that God needs to root out of you, some way of thinking that just needs to change because it's just not going to cut it any longer. But what God wants you and I to see in this moment where our Lord faced Gethsemane, and remember that it was Gethsemane where your pain and your questions and my pain and my questions became transformed. They were part of what led him to a cross so that all that I would experience in life can be seen from the Father through his blood. Through his blood. It's different for everybody. And there's no point in comparing. Well, I've gone through harder stuff than you. If it's pain to you, it's pain. This idea that, well, you have to walk in my shoes, but if my feet are bigger than yours, walking in your shoes won't work. I need to walk in my shoes and understand what God's doing in my life, for us to look at other people who are going through pain and assess that pain based on our own life experiences is foolish. If they're in distress, if they're in pain, if they're at a place of just giving up, they're being pressed on all sides. For them, it's Gethsemane. And that's where we can show them, no matter what your moment is, Jesus is able Because he went through it too. And it began with obedience. Not what I want. Not my will. But Father, your will be done. What you want. But I'm really interested in God's plan B. You know, I don't, I've learned in my Christian walk that God's got a plan A for me. I've got a plan B and C. And even when I walk away from his plan A and try plan B and C, and they fall to pieces, he comes back to me and say, let's look at plan A again. Wherever you are tonight, whatever you're going through, whatever you're experiencing, you're not alone. You don't have to walk through alone. I can't promise you every human being will be there. I can't promise you every person won't do the same thing that Peter, James, and and John did. But what I can promise you is that the father will send his power to bring victory and an overcoming witness into your life. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that part of following Jesus? Jesus. It's customary on a Good Friday service to celebrate Holy Communion. One of the reasons that connects it for me is because right after the Last Supper, what happens is this scene in the garden. A scene where this man our Lord and Savior who is about to die for a bunch of guys who are about to abandon him completely finds the strength even before getting to the garden to wash their feet and to offer them a model this is my body this is my blood this is the new covenant And the book of 1 Corinthians tells us that whenever we eat this bread or drink this cup, we're to do so in a way where we're thinking of him. So let's take a moment and pause. And just clear our minds of everything but the name of Jesus. Oh, heavenly king. We love you tonight. we are grateful for the experience you obediently embraced on the cross, but even in the garden. Help us, Lord, in our challenging seasons, in our moments when we're pressed on every side. Help us to realize that you're just a prayer away and that we can know overcoming power through coming into the arms of our daddy. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to stand with me.